titled, if you, as uh, it's many in this city, uh, and we're going to be talking from the book of Acts, chapter 18. Uh, the big idea this morning is that Jesus has other sheep to bring into his fold. Jesus has other sheep to bring into his fold. And there's three points we're going to take directly from the scripture this morning, and that's the, that the proclaimer of the gospel must do these three things. Must not be fearful, must go on speaking, and must trust the result to Christ. So this morning I'm continuing this topic of evangelism. I'm thankful so many of you have committed to pray for the lost that are in your lives, in your spheres of influence. Some of you have already connected with your prayer partner to pray together for the lost. And this morning uh, we have available but I left them over next door if one of the deacons would be willing to go get them. We have cards for you to write down the names of the people you are hoping to bring to church in December. Of course, you can bring them earlier too, but we're going to ask you to turn those cards in uh, with the names of who you're going to be praying for so that I can pray with you too and that others can pray and we'll spur each other on to pray for the lost. Fair enough? All right, so if you haven't figured out yet what names to put down, that's okay. Take the card with you and keep praying, and during the next week you will hopefully come up with some names. And then starting October 22nd, we're going to kick off a 40 days of prayer where we all as a church body are going to pray together that the Lord move in our hearts and that he provides opportunities for us to share the gospel and that, he would, that we would see his hand of mercy uh, on the lost, and that he would allow Oasis Church the privilege of seeing the fruit that only God can bring. So may he be glorified in our lives and in his church. So we're going to look at Acts 18 together this morning. This is where Paul writes about the fact that God has many people in Corinth, so Paul needs to keep on mission preaching and pleading with the lost to believe in Jesus. Our key focus is going to be on verses 9 and 10, but I want to read 1 through 11 so we have the context of it. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads." I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God 
among them. So again, the big idea this morning is that Jesus has other sheep to bring into his fold. And that the proclaimer of the gospel must not be fearful, must go on speaking, and must trust the result to Christ. This passage starts out telling us that Paul went to Corinth. And Corinth was, in its day, a place known to be filled with debauchery. Every bad thing that you could think of was happening there. It was so bad that the word Corinth became a verb that was to Corinthianize or Corinthianize uh, meant to corrupt something or someone. The city had a temple to Athena, the goddess, goddess of love. And every evening, 1,000 prostitutes would come out of the temple And so depravity was part of the worship of the pagan gods. And there could be much said about this city. In fact, some scholars believe that it was Corinth that Paul was thinking of when he wrote Romans chapter 1, in which partly he says, verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their errors. So a lot of scholars believe that that section of Romans, uh, as Paul was writing it, he was thinking about his experience in Corinth. Corinth was truly a depraved place. It was a place where the cultural norms were so strong that even in the church, Paul had to write to correct some pretty crazy behavior, which I'm not going to go into now, but you can read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and other spots. So it's a crazy place with lots of debauchery, a depraved place, and yet here in Corinth, God had determined to have a church. Here in one of the most depraved places, a church would grow. And here in Corinth, Paul found a Jew named Aquila and his wife who had left Rome because the emperor had cast out all the Jews from there. So Paul initially worked and stayed with them because he was a tent maker. He needed a way to meet his needs as he did the ministry. And so he worked a job, and on the Sabbath, he would go to the synagogue and try to reason and persuade Jews and Greeks. Then Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, and they found Paul occupied with the word. The translation occupied may not fully convey the energy behind the original Greek word here as it's translated for us. It's more like this. Paul was seized with the burden of teaching and preaching and proclaiming the word of God. Now, when Timothy and Silas came, they brought the gift of money that the Macedonian church had sent, and this allowed him to focus full-time on the ministry of the Word of God. So God sometimes calls men to preach and work in full-time ministry, and other times someone needs to earn a living to provide for themselves, and this leaves less time to focus on studying prayer and teaching. And even today, there are ministers of the word who are called bivocational. In other words, uh, they have work another job, and then there's others that are in full-time ministry. The bivocational ministry minister is to be con- commended because uh, he's doing work so that he can do the ministry. 
Yet if he has a family to care for, he may be stretched thin. For most married men, it's not sustainable to do full-time ministry and then also have a, uh, provide a full income and balance family time and all of that. A single person may have an easier time of it, uh, but even he may become weary if he is caring for a family of believers, he may find himself worn out. So it was good that Paul was helped by the Macedonian church who said he partnered with him in the gospel. So today we find opportunities to be gospel partners, and many ministries use that terminology. If you listen to certain radio shows that I also listen to, you'll hear them at the end of the broadcast. Would you like to be a gospel partner with us? So if it was good for Paul to have gospel partners, and and it was good for the gospel partners to be partners with Paul, then it's good for us also. We are all gospel partners All are to share and demonstrate holy living. Some are called to an active ministry, and uh, in other words, a full-time ministry, but others are given means to support the ministry. And it's a wonderful thing that God allows us to partner in this way. Now we see in verses 5 and 6 that the Jews opposed Paul. So he shook out his garments, which is a sign of casting someone off. He claimed he was innocent of their blood. What did he mean by that? Well, Ezekiel was told by God that he was a watchman. He was to warn people about their sin. But if they did not hear the warning, but he had given the warning, he would be innocent of their blood. If he failed, though, to issue the warning, then the blood of those who were supposed to be warned by him would be on his head. And so Paul is saying he's innocent of the blood of the Jews who refused to bow to Jesus because he had done his part. He had shown them the errors of their ways. He had shown them the correction to those errors. And if they refused, then he was innocent of their blood. Then he goes on to stay with this guy, Titius Justice. And uh, some people have said that because a lot of people in those days used different names depending on what people group they were talking to. Many people back then, actually maybe more people than today, were bilingual or more than bilingual there. Um, But some people say this justice was the same person that's also called Gaius in other parts of the scripture, and that's definitely a possibility. And he had a house, apparently a large enough house, where Paul could have groups of people there to teach them. And he lived next to the synagogue, and the ruler of the synagogue also became a believer, and so did many Corinthians. So now that was a very quick overview of the first part of that chapter, because I wanted to get us to the main text, the main meat, what we're going to try to get into this morning, which is verses 9 and 10, which again say, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Remember the big idea. Jesus has other sheep to bring into his fold. The proclaimer of the gospel must not be fearful. He must go on speaking and must trust the result to Christ. So first, the proclaimer of the gospel must not be fearful. Now, just the fact that Jesus says this to Paul is 
probably an indication that Paul did have some fear or at least a tendency to go uh, into a fearful state. And, and probably he had the potential, like a lot of us do, to back off on this important job of teaching. I can tell you for an f- absolute fact, I'm almost at a 10-year mark of preaching, and there have been many times where I knew that the topic was tough, and I knew that there was people in there that might be, uh, find that very abrasive in a different way, and there's many times where I was tempted not to give the message that I had prepared. It is probably the same for Paul, that he had some fear And that makes perfect sense for Paul, especially that he would have some fear since already at this point he had experienced opposition just about everywhere he went. Certainly many of God's men and women have had some fear. Persecution exists and it can be severe for some Christians to the point where they may fear. But Jesus tells Paul, do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. Now, this is a promise to all believers. I am with you. Jesus said it in the Great Commission that is recorded in in Matthew chapter 28. Behold, I am with you. He said he would never leave us or forsake us. So in the life of every believer, this is a promise to trust in. Jesus is always with you. This is a universal promise promise to all believers in Christ. He is always with us. Although this promise is for all believers, the next promise is not. He said, no one will attack you or harm you. Now, this is not for all believers or all, at all times. Paul himself was not promised this everywhere since he endured some very difficult persecutions. It was a, for that time and place that Jesus gave him this assurance At least there in Corinth, he was not going to be harmed. But Christians around the world throughout history have, and even today have endured endured some very painful things. Jesus is always with you when life is good and you have full health and no one is opposing you for Christ's sake. And Jesus is also with you when life is difficult and your health is failing and people are abusing you for standing up for the courage of your convictions. He is always with you. But he does not promise to protect you from all harm and pain and difficulty. Janelle was in a Bible study years ago, and a lady said something along these lines, well, if God is in something, it'll be easy. Au contraire, sister. That means, I don't think so. I think that's French, isn't it? Okay. Often God allows us to serve him in some very difficult situations. The early disciples counted it an honor to suffer for Jesus. James and John both wrote about sufferings and trials and how they are good for us because they help us grow in faith. However, in this case, Paul is being told to stay where he is because the Lord was making a promise that he would not be harmed. This is a promise that was only for Paul in this particular place and in this particular time. He's telling Paul to stay where he is. In other words, uh, Paul, just keep on the job at this place right now. But other times, we see that Paul was told where to go or where not to go. Uh, Acts 22, 18, uh, 
saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. This is something the Lord told Paul. Uh, in Acts 16.9, he had a vision. A vision appeared to Paul in the, middle, in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us, which Paul took to mean that God was sending him there. So he was following that direction. In Acts 27, 23, and 24, for this very night there stood up before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all, the, who, all those who sail with you. That's when he was in the boat and things were getting pretty tough. All right, so John Calvin writes this. Surely experience shows that none are faithful and courageous ministers of the word whom this faint heart does not sometimes hinder, and that those only are rightly prepared and addressed to teach to whom it was granted with boldness and courage of heart to overcome all manner of danger. In which respect he writes Timothy that the spirit of fear is not given to the preachers of the gospel but power and love and sobriety. Therefore, we must note the connection of words, fear not, but speak, which is all one as if he should have said, let not fear, let not fear, let thee to speak. In other words, let not fear, that's old English. (laughs) Um, Don't let the fear keep you from speaking. So the proclaimer of the gospel has to not be fearful, must go on speaking and must trust it, uh, the result to Christ. So Paul is not to be fearful. He should be encouraged by the promise of Christ being with him. Also, he is to keep speaking. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, the going and speaking came first, followed by the promise of Jesus' presence with his followers. Now the promise comes first and the command goes uh, to go speaking after. Now certainly Paul knew that he was called to this. However, we are often in need of reminders from our Lord and King of what it is he has called us to. Jesus had told Ananias that Paul, known as Saul to him at that time, would be his witness and would suffer. Acts 9, 15, and 16 says, The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So from the very time of his conversion, Paul was a marked man in that sense, that he was going to suffer for the name of Christ. Paul knew that. He knew he would suffer for Christ's sake. Yet here in Corinth, Paul would be able to preach and teach unhindered by that opposition. We are about to see why in our third point, The proclaimer of the gospel must trust the results to Christ because Jesus said, I have many in this city who are my people. Notice he doesn't give their names to Paul. He doesn't say, here's the marketplace where you'll find them. He doesn't say, they're all gathered in this neighborhood. Paul doesn't know who they are. But Christ does. The exact same thing is still true today. We are called to share the gospel, but we do not know who among those we speak may respond. We may look at this world and say the lost are too lost to be saved. Look at how depraved. Look how they love their sin. Yet what was Corinth? The capital of sin. 
If you think Corinth sounds a bit like Hollywood, you'd be on the right track. Kent Hughes said this, God assured his apostle, I have many people in this city. These were encouraging words. Paul's work would not be fruitless. Some of the Corinthians were tired of Tinseltown. The fleshly pleasures had lost the attraction. Some were suffering deep guilt and an awful emptiness of soul. They were ready to receive Christ. These people, according to Paul's other writings, included Erastus, Gaius, Stephanas, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. There's some big names you'll find in other places in Scripture. All of them because Paul stayed in that depraved city and preached the gospel. Jesus knows who are his. You and I do not. Yet he will surely bring all of us into the fold. How he has chosen to do this is to use his church as witnesses. John 10, 16, Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Jesus knows which ones he has appointed to eternal life. When Paul and Barnabas brought the gospel to Antioch, here is how scripture describes those who came to faith. Acts 13, 48. It says, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed What does that mean? Well, God had predestined them to believe. They were appointed to believe. They were not only marked as property of Jesus, but at the very very time of their blindness ending, the very time when they would move from spiritual death to life everlasting, the very moment was determined by God. As many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. Jesus knows that the Father has given him souls as gift and they will not, they will not be lost. John 17, uh, he, he's this great high priestly prayer. It's called Jesus is praying to God. And he says in verse six, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. And then in verse 12, he said, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, which refers to Judas, uh, that the scripture might be fulfilled. In other words, Jesus uh, has been gifted by the Father, those who would believe in him and put faith in him. They're, They're... Names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. And so before time even began, God knew who he was going to save. John 18, 9 says, This was to fulfill the word that he has spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. And John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. God had many in the city of Corinth who were his. He knew who they were, but Paul had to find out. He had to preach the gospel indiscriminately to all who would listen. Matthew Henry wrote this, 
The Lord knows those that are his, yea, and those that shall be his. For it is by his work upon them that they become his, and known unto him are all his works. I have them, though they yet know me not. Though yet they are let captive by Satan at his will. For the Father has given them to me to be a seed to serve me. I have, written, I have them written in the book of life. I have their names down. And of all that were given me, I will lose none. I have them, for I am sure to have them. Whom he did predestinate, those he called. In this city, though it be a very profane, wicked city, full of impurity, and the more so for the temple of Venus there, to which there was a great resort, yet in this heap that seems to be all chaff, there is wheat. In this ore that all seems to be dross, there is gold. Let us not despair concerning any place when even in Corinth... Christ had such people. And Calvin again says, Furthermore, the Lord calls those his people who, though they might then for good causes be counted strangers, yet because they were written in the book of life and were immediately to be admitted into his family, they have this title given them not improperly. For we know that many sheep wander without the flock for a time, as the sheep have many wolves among them. Therefore, whom the Lord determined shortly after to gather to himself, those he takes for his people in respect to their future faith. But let us remember that those are engrafted into the body of Christ who relate to the same by the eternal adoption of God. As it is written, thine they were, and thou gavest them me. We should be very encouraged in our evangelism efforts, that there are still many in our own city who God may call to himself through our testimony and proclamation of his word. It may seem to us at times that the world is too attracted to their sins and temptations or that people are not interested in God because they aren't spiritual people. And yet, I was in the Barnes & Noble store recently, and everywhere you look, you see that people are spiritually hungry, yet there is nothing but poison in much of what's on display there. All over the store were books on witchcraft, the tarot card readings, the crystals that are supposed to help people out somehow, meditation and new, new age garbage everywhere. I don't think I saw a single end cap in that store that did not have a satanic thing on it. Outright satanic materials everywhere you turn. Are you, and you would tell me that people aren't interested in the spiritual Friends, people are seeking the spiritual. Some will not admit that, but it's true. There are many people out there who are desperate to experience something of the spiritual. In Corinth, they flock to the temple to see the temple prostitutes and engage in sickening and depraved acts, all in the name of religion. Is our world much different? No, it's not. They may say it isn't about religion, but the truth is that everything is spiritual. All of life is spiritual. Everybody is worshiping something. Maybe self, maybe vice, maybe Satan, maybe God. Everyone worships something. The more that people try to fill their sadness and their lack of connection with vice or activity or whatever, the less fulfilled they are. The the only true fulfillment comes from knowing Christ. 
There are truly many in this city who are his, and we are called to proclaim the gospel to them. But we don't know which ones are appointed to eternal life. We can only obey our command to go and make disciples. Ultimately, the results are up to him. As Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So again, the big idea of one last time here, that Jesus has other sheep to bring into his fold. Jesus has other sheep to bring into his fold. And the proclaimer of the gospel, and by the way, don't think that's only the preacher who's paid to do it. We're all proclaimers of the gospel. Must not be feel fearful. Must go on speaking. Must trust the result to Christ. Well, we see that we cannot avoid our responsibility to share the gospel, yet some might think they do not have the right speaking skills. Yet you do not have to have perfect speech to share the gospel. In a couple of weeks, John Sappy and I are going to share a short video each week that will have John sharing about a simple and effective way to share the basics of the Bible. You don't have to have perfect speech. God has used many people for great purposes of his that were unlikely in their own minds or in the minds of others. Paul himself said he did not have the greatest speaking skills when he brought the gospel to Corinth. What did he have? Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2, he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come, proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And if you've been here the last two weeks, this is going to start sounding familiar, I hope. 2 Corinthians 5.11-21, to 21, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience, We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And lest we be ashamed of it, let us proclaim with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God was revealed from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I'm going to close here with uh, how Kent, Kent Hughes closed the chapter of his um, commentary on this. I really like this prayer, so I thought this would, we'll put it up on the screen for you to follow along. Oh God, help us not to turn aside because of fear, but rather to have courage through the Holy Spirit. Help us to keep serving, fighting, hoping, proclaiming, no matter what obstacles the enemy may put in our way. Help us to recognize and claim the protection you have provided, knowing that whatever happens to us, no real harm can befall us, for we are shielded by your eternal love and faithfulness. Help us to remember that what we do for you will indeed bear fruit. For your glory and exaltation in Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that as you continue to encourage our souls, we will be ever more strengthened and energized to reach those around us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we not shirk our duty to you. May we do all that you've called us to do in your strength for your glory.